Hello, everyone. This is Pete Van Epps. Welcome to the Cameron Brooks podcast. This podcast is designed to interview and meet with business leaders and, and hear their story and really hear some of the ideas and concepts and best practices that they have used throughout their business career to help them be successful and share them here on the podcast. Cameron Brooks is a military officer recruiting firm. What we do is we help transitioning military officers um, make a transition to corporate America into leading companies and into leadership roles within those companies. If you are a transitioning military officer and interested in uh, exploring what Cameron Brooks has to offer, I encourage you to go to our website, Cameron-Brooks.com. There's a lot of open source material that you can use, tools that you can use to learn more about a transition and how to prepare to make a transition. I'd encourage you to subscribe to our newsletter, subscribe to our blog, and I'd also encourage you to pick up a copy of PCS to Corporate America written by Roger Cameron. It's in its fourth edition, so it's also co-authored by our president and CEO, Chuck Alvarez, and our senior vice president, Joel Junker. You can find PCS to Corporate America on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and online. So on this podcast, this episode, I interview Ross Nussbaum. Ross is a former... Marine Corps officer, infantry officer who made his transition to corporate America a little over three years ago and started in Johnson & Johnson in a company called Biosense Webster. And so Ross has had a very successful career, which we'll dig into. And some of the topics we're going to work on today is talk about how to build your brand, how preparation and hard work can truly pay off in corporate America, and why networking is so important in the business world. We also dig into one of his favorite books of late and, uh, and talk about how he's used that to be more successful in his career. So um, quick disclaimer, Ross works for Johnson & Johnson, so I'll say that the, um, the views and opinions expressed by Ross do not necessarily reflect the views and experiences opinions of Johnson & Johnson or Biosense Webster. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening and subscribing to the podcast. I hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome to the Camera Brooks podcast. I really appreciate you guys tuning in. I'm very excited to, uh, to introduce the guest for this podcast. Um, this is someone who uh, made a transition into corporate America, working with a very prestigious company within Johnson and Johnson in 2013, and and I'm going to let him tell the story. But I'll tell you the 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 um, the progression that he's had and the place that he's gotten to in a very short amount of time is extremely impressive. And hopefully, you feel the same way after hearing a little bit about his story. So, without further ado, um, I'm going to introduce Ross Nussbaum, and I'm going to get him to tell his his background and story a little bit. But Ross, welcome to the podcast. Sincerely, I'm grateful for you being on and sharing a little bit about your story with us today. Thanks, Pete. I'm really happy to be here discussing the my career path and my experience with Cameron Brooks uh, and sharing that with some really great Cameron Brooks candidates that are out there. Um, so I'll just give a little bit of a background to myself yeah. uh, for the people out there who haven't heard my background. So I, I graduated the Citadel in 2009. I had an undergrad degree in psychology and a minor in criminal justice. 
Uh, and then I commissioned in uh, May of '09, and I did four years in the Marine Corps. I was an infantry officer for those four years. I did one combat deployment as a platoon commander in southern Helmand, Afghanistan. And I quickly turned around and volunteered for a advisor tour to advise the Afghan army um, right after that tour. And then I got out in uh, 2013. So I worked with Joel Junker and Rob Davis and the Cameron Brooks crew for about just under a year during my transition. I've uh, read about 15 or so books on the program and worked really hard on the interview prep and the interview questions and sat in on a couple of Cameron Brooks prep meetings before the conference. And uh, I landed a job with uh, Biosense Webster, which is a, um, it's a medical device company within Johnson & Johnson. And I spent six months in the associate clinical uh, program where I was essentially being paid to learn and had to be a, uh, a, a mapper and a clinical support specialist for cardiac electrophysiology. I worked directly with physicians in the operating room where we help the physician treat heart rhythm problems using our diagnostic and ablation catheters and our 3D uh, virtual computer mapping system. So after six months, I was promoted to a clinical, and I moved to San Antonio, Texas. And I spent about a year and a half, year and ten months, uh, learning the full-spectrum part of uh, clinical support, how we operated in the hospital. Uh, I learned the sales piece. I had a great mentor and my territory manager. I worked hard to learn the whole part of the industry. Um, and then I interviewed for, and I just about four months ago, accepted a position as a territory manager in Pensacola, Florida. And so that's the uh, that's the bare bones of my career path for the last three years. Well, that's good stuff. What, what, how about this? You know, this is a question that I assume, you know, some are asking, and, and I know before we, uh, before we started the show, you and I were catching up here a little bit about that. How does someone with a – um, with an undergraduate degree in psychology and an experience as an infantry officer in the United States Marine Corps, how did that person go, or how did you go, really, from that type of background to explaining to clinical specialists and, and physicians in the operating room how to use some of the products you're using? How did that happen? Right, that's a great question, Pete, because in this industry it is all about credibility, right? So when I first started, my number one goal was to master the clinical support piece. I wanted to know how my products worked, all the different products we had, how they created value for the physician in the lab. That was how that was how I built trust and rapport with my customers. Um, so from there, your background really doesn't weigh in when a physician has a patient on the table and he just wants you to make sure that he has a smooth procedure with no issues. They can find where the tachycardia is originating from and they treat that patient and they go on to have a better quality of life. So all the things, the intangibles you learn from being in college and from being in the military about being extremely well organized, being well prepared, uh, being very studious and really embracing your job so that you provide value to your customers and to your team, that's, that's what it's all about. So as I went through my career, I just invested in the technology, in our product catalog, in cardiac electrophysiology, and I was reading uh, peer-reviewed journals, 
and I was doing everything I could to make sure I was the trusted advisor for that position. And I, every time I walked in the lab, I created value for people that were there. And so that, to me, was more important than what my undergrad was or what I did in the military, those types of things. And the rest, the subjective piece of the um, uh, the the skill sets that I had about communication and the other things that that was sort of transparent that just kind of came after the fact so those are the things that I really focused on to overcome some things with the pedigree in my in my background yeah. for the for the team and for the customer well I remember when you were in San Antonio and you and I met for lunch one day and it, you'd been in the role for you know maybe four to six months at that time and and we hadn't really spoken much since you had made the transition from the Marine Corps. And I remember sitting down to lunch with you and, and you sharing with me some of what you were working on and what you had learned. And, and I got to tell you, I was overly impressed with the amount of clinical knowledge that you had. And I was, I was extremely confident that whoever you were talking to about some of the products you were selling and some of the positions you were working with, you knew exactly what you were talking, were talking about. You know, you talked about going above and beyond a little bit. You know, can you can you vamp on that a little bit as it relates to some of the success you've found in your company? I feel like you've risen to a level of success very quickly in your organization. And I wonder, is some of the things that you were doing, um, was that above and beyond, or was, was all of the clinical account folks that were in the same position as you, is everyone doing the same thing, or, or how did you get to where you are now based on where you were in San Antonio? Yeah, so I think, Pete, that there's a balance with having your top performers and then having, you know, the masses and some people that are maybe underperforming. I think you get that mix in the military as well as corporate America. And so when you talk about going above and beyond, I wanted to surround myself with the people that were doing it right. And I picked up on what they were doing to be successful, whether it was they were studying, they were being in the procedure early on and leaving late, and they were setting up the lab. What, Whatever it is that people that were doing it right were doing, I wanted to, to be around that and be a part of that. So in terms of my industry, the guys who were most respected by the physician or the guys that were having the sales conversations with the key decision makers in a hospital, um, whatever they did, I wanted to be a part of. So I attached myself to people there and just really absorbed their process. Um, I also combined the work ethic that I built from being in the military. So, for example, if I'm going to uh, Afghanistan on a deployment, I want to know my territory. I want to know all of the history that uh, occurred there in the last couple of years. I want to do a deep dive and, and know what I'm getting into. And from there, it's just a matter of just being very well organized and having a plan. And, uh, after a while, you build a track record. And when you start to have success upon success, you know, at the end of the year, when you have a conversation with your manager, he says, you know, there's only a handful of people that I know of that are as organized and are working as hard and accelerating that learning curve as you are. And that's where you start building your, your network of people that when it comes time to take mm -hmm. that next step, those are the guys that are going to go to bat for you with the manager you're interviewing with and say, this is the guy. Look what he's doing uh, to go above and beyond. And here's why you need to hire this guy. You know, one of the questions, you, you, you mentioned this earlier about, um, you know, plugging in with, uh, when you came to the company, plugging in with, with people who were leaders in the organization, making an impact, they had influence. You know, I feel like that's not natural a lot of times as people transition into new roles is to, to go and seek out 
um, influencers and seek out those who they can receive mentorship and guidance as they grow. Um, but it seems like in your case, we had talked a little bit about a network. It seems like in your case, that was an important component to you getting really good at the role as a clinical uh, account specialist. Could you speak to kind of the the how and the why of of why that was uh, something that, that you engaged in pretty quickly in your career at Biosense Webster? So when you're going into a new industry, you're, when you're a Cameron Brooks guy, military guy going into a brand new environment, it, it's difficult to go from being the subject matter expert in your field to being brand new, don't have relationships. It's sort of a clean slate, and that's a that's a difficult transition. Um, for me, as a as a clinical, uh, I knew that there wasn't really a direct path into the sales role that I wanted, so I sort of had to create a path for myself. Uh, the way that I did that was I figured out who were the people that I needed to communicate with on a regular basis. So my my key account manager who became the, the business director for that region was a great resource. He was my hiring manager. He invested a lot of time in me and getting me up to speed with the territory and the positions and what the relationships need to look like in order to be successful. And then he started inviting me into the sales pieces of, of the business. So I really attached myself to guys like Mike, Mark Krennic. Um, he was a huge ally for me throughout the process and helped me get that early promotion over to San Antonio. Uh, I, I knew that I had to sort of replicate that, not just with the sales guys, but my clinical team also. Uh, I had to humble myself and I had to lean on them for support and guidance as I was learning, as I was the new guy, and uh, have to learn all the technology that we have across the whole uh, spectrum of electrophysiology. And the more that I spent time with my team and my sales guys, the more that they saw my personality come through where I was hungry and I I wanted to learn what they knew and I wanted to get involved in special projects and be in sales meetings and spend extra time in procedures when I had nothing going on that day. So all those things about networking and going the extra mile really resonated with the rest of the team and the salespeople. They said, this is a guy who is really serious about his professional development. He's always asking questions. He's in procedures. He's networking when he goes to the national training meeting. So people know him and I slowly continue to build my brand. And so when somebody said, oh, do you know Ross? And they would say, yeah, he's, he's, he's doing well. He's getting involved in a lot of projects and, you know, he's going to be great. And so that sort of built my brand for me is the performance, asking questions, accelerating that learning curve in the company. And when it came time to um, to interview for future positions, those guys knew me. They knew my name, and they knew that I was I was hungry and I was going to continue to outperform uh, the majority of my peers. And and that just had sort of a, a snowball effect. I just kept that ball moving, which was easier as I went down the line. You know, it's such a – I just want to reiterate that. I mean, it's such a I, – I have the opportunity to talk to people who, you know, transition over the course of, uh, you know, sometimes I talk to people that have been out for six months or a year or 18 months. And, you know, a constant or maybe a, um, a common theme that I hear is um, a little bit of a, you know, that there's not a clear pathway. Um, you know, I'm, 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 I'm looking for different opportunities or – 
you know, it, it's not as defined. And, and I think what you did, which, which is just extremely impressive, is you said, yeah, there's not a clear pathway, but here's what I'm going to do to ensure that um, when the time comes, I know the right people, I have the right information, I've built my brand, so, so when the time comes to interview for an opportunity, um, I've got those things in place. And, I, and, I, and that's, that type of advice is invaluable. You know, building your brand um, through hard work, through dedication, um, through building a network is, is, is some of the best advice that I, I think I've received in my career. And obviously, um, you're giving now, and it, and it, and it obviously worked out well. Um, you know, when you when you made the transition from the clinical account rep, where you were you were essentially the, the subject matter expert and covering the cases and being promoted and living in San Antonio and then interviewing for a job in Florida as a territory manager, major promotion, no clear pathway. Um, you were competing when when we talked before. You said you were competing against seventy one other people that were competing for the same role. Can you tell me a little bit more about what that whole, how that whole thing played out and competing for 71 other people for the role? And, and how did you get selected over 71 other people in all of that? Sure, P. Well, it was, it was a lot of preparation. So I, I went back to the, the Cameron Brooks process on that one for sure. My, my philosophy was I'm going to go up against people that had been in the industry for uh, five years, ten years, maybe sometimes fifteen and twenty years, and and Johnson and Johnson, BioSense Webster uh, is is the place to be in Johnson and Johnson right now. So there are people that are hungry for this opportunity, and there are people that had plenty more polished uh, sales background than than I had. Um, so I knew I was going in from the uh, clinical background, which uh, is more clinical support than sales. Um, and so it was all going to come down to my preparation for the interviews, uh, my ability to answer the hiring manager's uh, uh, needs and questions about, you know, how do I, how am I going to be as a manager of a small team, uh, an operator of a territory which has a lot of autonomy, how am I going to use the resources and the network that I've built so far to drive sales growth and manage the clinical team, and am I going to own the sales process? So I just I wrote out all the potential questions I thought that the hiring manager was going to ask me about my transition from the military, what was my experience with team leadership, why did I get out of the military, why Biosense Webster, and why sales. Um, and so I just, I just rehearsed my questions, I refined them, and I made them very succinct. I would practice them. I'm a big believer in practicing for whether it's an interview or sales meetings. I, I do a lot of rehearsing. I talk to myself in the car, I talk to myself in the hotel, I run through things, I jot down notes, and so I really want to have a very polished approach when it comes time to have that, having those interviews. So I think there were about 13 or 15 of us that made it to the second or third round of the interviews. <clears throat> when I came home from having two pretty long, uh, pretty, uh, pretty hard procedures, uh, Jimmy wanted to interview me for a phone interview for the first time. So I'm, I'm in my scrubs. I'm driving to pick up my kid from daycare, and he calls me when I'm sitting outside the daycare at about 6 o'clock in the evening. And we had about an hour-long conversation. And I was very well prepared because I had rehearsed, and I had bounced off questions from one of my Cameron Brooks 
uh, coworkers, and he, he went back and forth. And so I felt very comfortable in the conversation with the hiring manager. That conversation led to the, the final five follow-on interview, and then eventually uh, my getting an offer at at the interview with the area director, who is the uh, you know my boss's boss. Um, so all of those things set me up for success for that process. A couple months later, if you fast forward, my boss and I were going to interview a couple of associate clinicals for our territory, and I I just wanted to know. I said, so what was it that I sold you on? What was it that was uh, that made me stand out amongst all these other candidates? And he said he really liked my uh, military management background with having a platoon. I dealt with some difficult personalities, but he just knew that after having this first conversation with me, that I was an extremely well-prepared individual. And that was, that was a big deciding factor for him. So I was, I was very glad that I was able to drive all those points. And I asked him questions. I, I knew what I knew myself and my background and, and what was going to make a difference for him. So he could see me adding value as a sales rep in his region. That's great. Did he ask you? Think back to that interview. Did do you remember any uh, any surprises or off the wall questions that you got that maybe threw you for a loop? Well, I think Pete, the the one that stands out the most for me was I was very upfront with him initially, and I said, I "said Jimmy, I I know you're going to meet with some people that have a lot more of a polished uh, resume than me." But here's why, here's why I think I'm the best choice for you. I know my products. I know the physicians. I know the relationships. I know how to navigate the C-suite conversations with the hospitals in order to follow through the sales process. And if you look at my background, you see I'm, I'm, I'm a high performer. And I have people that will vouch for that because I've built my network. And his response to me was very direct. It said, I'll be very honest with you. You're absolutely right. I'm meeting with people that have a lot of sales experience, and you have more of a clinical background than a sales role, so it is a risk for me. And so my interpretation was, I'm not really sure how that went. <laughs> I'm not sure okay. if, I, if I sold him or if, or if we just both acknowledged that, that I'm a little more of a risky hire on paper. But what I was able to convey to the remainder of the interview was that because of my preparation and my my drive, my commitment, the things that I was doing to be successful, I'm going to continue that to the next level or two. And mm-hmm. so, so those are the things that stuck out with me the most in my, my interview with him. So can you tell me a little bit, you know, in the military, um, personal training and personal development is very much a part of the organization. Can you tell me a little bit more about, um, you know, how you're focused on training and development to get better at what you're doing as a professional? So Johnson & Johnson and Biosense Webster have a philosophy that you're responsible for your own development. So nobody is going to one day drop a couple of packets of paper on your desk and say, here's what your training program looks like. Um, we are going to guide you through the process. and at the end of it, you're going to come out with some certificate. So training for us is I'm responsible for making sure I'm getting what I need from a sales training perspective. Uh, you know, I'm reading the Challenger Sale Model book, which we'll talk about, one of my favorite books uh, that I've read recently. You know, I'm, I'm taking charge of my own learning. I'm attaching myself to those territory managers that are in the top 
5% of the company and what are they doing and how are they doing it in order to be successful. And then, you know, there's things like the advanced sales mastery course, which I'll be going to in July. Then there's a couple other project type things you can get in, involved in. But I think the, I think where we're kind of going with this is being responsible for your own training and development. So the military has a very strong established structure for your training pipeline and then a pre-deployment training pipeline and then your post-deployment reintegration where it is not very linear like that at all in corporate America just because of the time it would take um, to get you there it just it just isn't there so you need to you need to drive it yourself you need to ask for what you need um, so that's that's what training looks like in a in a sales organization in corporate America so you mentioned um, the book, The Challenger Sale. You and I had uh, had a conversation about it. And as a matter of fact, I read the book based on your strong recommendation. I remember we had a couple conversations, and, and you had asked, did you read it yet? Did you read it yet? No, I haven't read it. And so um, uh, about six months ago, I finally picked it up and got through it pretty quick, and I was very impressed with the model because I feel like it's kind of a, a new and, I don't know, new, but certainly a more um, complex and thorough way to bring value to a customer. Tell me a little bit about the challenger sale and how you've been able to take the concepts from the book and really apply them to being uh, a successful sales rep at J&J. Yeah, Pete, so I think the people that are the most successful, the top performers in a sales organization that I've seen in just my couple years of experience, the guys that are doing it right are the ones who are who know what the market is doing across multiple organizations. They're the ones who they've identified what is the, what is the right way of building a program, uh, training physicians, uh, increasing outcomes, managing costs, and helping the hospital through uh, not just the procedure but reimbursements and, and other things of value to be really a, a partner. So they're demonstrating that they understand what the market is doing and how to help them grow and be successful. They then tailor that message to that individual institution. So if they have a lot of physicians, but they uh, need to work on lab expansion or maximizing time in the room so they can go home earlier at the end of the day, or if it's utilizing the right products so they can maximize their reimbursement, um, tailoring that message to that specific customer so the customer feels like they're being treated like an individual situation and just taking control of that sales process um, and, and driving it home. I mean, that's what these guys are doing as opposed to <clears throat> a little bit of an older school model of thought where the relationship guy is the one that's going to get the business because maybe back in the day, a couple decades ago in sales, you might have to have a conversation with one person and that one person was the CEO. Nowadays, the challenger sale model tells you, and, and I've seen it, where there's at least five decision makers in a facility. So you have the CEO, the CFO, COO, the buyer, um, the lab director, and then the physician has their say. So you really have to understand who you're tailoring your message to and go beyond having a relationship and understanding their individual needs within the single facility in order to make that sale and have that partnership with them. So the book to me has done a great job of sort of transitioning out just having a relationship to really having a mutual exchange of value between two companies. Mm -hmm. You know, that, that's a, such a good way to summarize it. You know, when I read the book, it was really enlightening 
where um, where the authors were really discussing and, and, and focusing on the idea of challenging a customer to see things differently relative to what a sales professional was bringing and, and bringing new, innovative, different ways to solve some of the most common problems that any, in, in the industry, in this case the medical industry, but, but any industry would have. Have you found some, some opportunity to walk into a customer, you know, have a relationship, certainly, but then also talk to them, you know, and maybe you can go a little bit deeper, talk to them about, um, you know, it, it, customer, you know, I, I see that you're doing it this way. You know, based on what I've seen in the market, you may want to consider, uh, and, you know, consider another way to do it, and then, and then them really pulling value and even changing processes based on your recommendation and really based on your challenges. Right, so today I just left a meeting with a physician at uh, a hospital in Fairhope, and they are one of two hospitals in the system, so two hospitals, uh, same network. Uh, however, they one is a customer that is a very big, important customer. The other one we have a, a brand-new relationship with. So I just I met with the VP about two times so far, they have a need for a certain type of product to do intracardiac echo catheters. So we have catheters that go up in the groin that can do uh, sound-based images of the heart. And so this was what they thought was their one need so they can do uh, atrial fibrillation ablations, which is the growth driver for hospitals nowadays in the, in the cardiac space. So he, we went into that conversation, and he's thinking he needs one product. So we went through what do they think the amount of procedures per year they can do. We're thinking about what it, how can we help them manage their costs so that since they have less reimbursement than the national average, you know, what are the, what are the types of products that we can use that are viable for their program so they can, they can come out in the black and cost positive. So we come to find out that if he can combine what he's doing and we create a system-wide agreement, we're able to leverage a lot more purchasing power for them to get the hardware and the software they need so that they can have a successful program and they don't have too much of a cost burden for their one facility. So just by having asking questions about how many procedures you think you're going to be doing, what types of products you're going to be using, do you know what your current pricing is, do you know what your reimbursement is, they've got a larger program, they're using these types of ultrasound products to uh, decrease procedure time, have more procedures in a day. We're doing some in-servicing with the staff to help them get better and get faster at supporting your procedure. And, you know, then on the business side, how do we help you guys leverage what you're doing as a system to decrease costs and overall increase your 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 reimbursement? And, and so we, we're helping them make this a more viable program. And this is not something he was even in the realm of thinking of doing so uh, we're happy to help bring value to them in that respect by um, yeah. broadening their understanding of what they're able to leverage and that really makes us look like a better partner so um, it wasn't just I have product A here's product A price I can sell it to you this way it was a very much more dynamic conversation um, yeah, that, that is, moving that is forward yeah I think moving forward they understand that I'm I'm not just going to go there and try to sell them something. I'm going to help them uh, create more value than just a single product. So I'm, I'm their partner. 
That's good. Well, thank you for spending some time going through that. I got to tell you, there's, there's so many good topics that we've hit on, but um, I really feel like a lot of what you've said has just been hitting right to the heart of those that are in the business world, new to the business world, or perhaps making the transition. So a lot of great advice. My question to you is, what's the best piece of advice that you've received since you've been working at Johnson & Johnson? So when I worked with May, another clinical in Houston, he told me an old saying, he said, God give me patience but hurry. And so the point was, we all want to jump in and we want to be the best right away. We want to accelerate the learning curve. We want to make our mark. We want to be successful, get promoted. Um, and so the point that my friend was trying to convey was, you know, we all we all want patience, but give it to us quickly, right? So I think there's a part of us that we do need to take a step back, reevaluate where we are in our careers, sort of, you know, maybe we need to tailor a little bit of our approach with, with our team to better communicate. Maybe we need to ask for what we need from our manager so we can be more successful. We just need to take a little more perspective sometimes and have just a little bit of patience. But we still have that drive, right, to to accomplish all these things we want to accomplish. So I think having that balance of patience and that drive was probably the best piece of advice because I just wanted to go out and hit the ground running and be promoted, be successful. But I think I sometimes forgot to stop and sort of take stock and, and sort of breathe a little bit. And by doing that, I'm able to take a better perspective of the bigger picture and, and refocus myself to, to do the things that are going to make me successful. All right, Ross, uh, as, we're, as we're wrapping up here, the last thing I got for you, how about this? Um, if you could give one piece of advice to someone, a military officer who's transitioning or, or even a military officer thinking about making a transition to corporate America, what would you say? What advice would you give them? The advice that I would give a junior Marine officer who's transitioning today would be to never be discouraged. When you are going from being the expert in your field to being the new person, it's not easy. There are people out there that are going to invest in you because they believe in you. You are going to have that drive to be successful because that's who you are and that's what you're made of. So don't be discouraged when you come through these roadblocks to your promotions not happening as fast as you think they should. Uh, I would discourage people from thinking about bouncing from company to company and having to reestablish themselves, which I think it ends up taking you more time to get to get you where you want to go. So don't be discouraged about those times where maybe you're in a position for two years, three years, you think it's time to move on, just like in the military where we move duty stations every two or three years. Keep focused, keep charging hard, keep building your brand, build your network, and with time, you're going to be successful. Ross, I just want to say thank you, you know, when I think about our relationship and when I think about you and the, the hard work, the dedication, the determination, the humility, the ambition, which is so many words to describe you and, uh, and what you've been able to do, it's just very impressive. So um, I think your, your insight, your expertise, your knowledge would be extremely helpful to those listening to the podcast. Thanks for taking a couple of minutes out for us today and, uh, and I look forward to talking to you real soon. Thanks, Pete.